Brilliant. And if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 3. But before we do that, let's, let's pray. So Jesus, we, we come before you and we, we say thank you so much for what you've been doing in the service already. Jesus, we echo that prayer. Jesus, would you continue to speak into our lives? Jesus, we pray, Lord, would we encounter you? Would we learn something afresh from you? God, we pray, Lord, would we have a deeper revelation of you? So Heavenly, so Heavenly Father, we pray, come and have your way. And God, we pray anything that's off of uh, myself might be blown away, might be forgotten. But God, everything that's of you, I pray, Lord, may it resound in our hearts. We transform our lives and would it have a deep impact. In Jesus' name, amen. Have it, we're going to be looking at... Uh, the baptism of Jesus and when, when Jesus gets led out into the wilderness this morning. But uh, I've got a question. Have you, ever be, have you ever been on the computer and you know all these ads, the ads, you know, you, when you type something in, it then gives you something else that you might like in, a, in an advert. You'll see them and sometimes you look, ac- you look across and you think, possibly, but most of the time you just ignore it and move on, or sometimes you think, how did it know I was looking for something like that, but then you move on. Well, have you ever had that? I was, uh, years and years and years ago, um, I was doing, uh, just searching the, the internet for a bit of a, uh, co- for college, college work, and this ad just came, ac- just came across, and you know when you see something, it's almost instantly you knew what you're going to do with that. You know, you know, you, 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 see, 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 you see something and you're just like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. So almost like out of instinct, out of natural, it was just like click, purchase. Couple of days before next day delivery, couple of days came and it came through. And I was like, this is amazing. I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. And it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be so much fun. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah. I got a balaclava. <laughs> and so, I waited. My sister had, she had a flat, but because she was trying to save up for a house, because, you know, these days it's so hard to, to, to hold to, to gain money for a house. So we, there's a temporary accommodation in that we put this building in the back of the garden and so they stayed in. It's coming down, I can't see. There you go. And so they're, they're sleeping in the back garden but they're using the house and it gets late at night one night and I hear them out in the back garden and I'm thinking, this is perfect. <laughs> so I grab the balaclava from underneath the bed where I stashed it so no one can find it and then I run down the stairs, and my dad's like looking at me going, what are you doing? And I go into the back, back room, and my mom's going, what have you got there? And I'm like, shh, shh. And I open that back door. See, I can't see it. And it's almost like, even though it's quiet, in my head was the Mission Impossible thing. Ding, 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 
ding, ding. And you, know, you wish, you, and you can hear their voices in where, where they're staying. And the doors open, and you can see the light coming out onto the, gar- onto the garden. And I was like, please, God, don't let them come out. And I'm going down the garden, like, that's, ding, 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 ding. And I get right up to the door. And in my head, I'm like, ding, ding, ding. And it was perfect. Because my sister, she had a back turned, but she was right beside the door. And immediately, I'm, I'm there. I just burst through the door, and I go, Danger! <laughs> I've never heard her scream so much in all my life. <laughs> she, <laughs> she screamed, she jumped out of her skin, and uh, her, her husband jumped out as well, and uh, not swear words came out, but I got called a few things. And, uh, but I got tempted, and that's why I put them on the best temptation. Well, it wasn't for them, but for me, it was fantastic. Yeah. It's one of those moments where if you had a camera and I'd recorded it, that's definitely Jeremy Beadle, 250 pounds all day long. That, I'm sure that would have been you know, a TikTok or whatever sensation that would have been, but that was absolutely fantastic. And that's one of the things which sometimes they come away and it's like, I'm just tempted. No, I'll go for that. I'll go for that. But we all know there's, kind of, there's different, t- different temptations come our way on a daily basis. So we're going to be starting at, in Matthew, I mean, chapter 3. Get my breath back. Verse 1, and let's go. And it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John, Jesus' cousin, John was more than cousin, he was was significant. He was the forerunner. He prepared the message that he shared, prepared the way for Jesus coming through. We know that John, John, he was filled in his mother's womb with the Holy Spirit. He was the man. People were flocking to to him in in the Jordan to be baptized. His popularity, his pop, in some retrospects, his popularity is soaring. In others, it's, plummet, it's plummeting because it does, does, with all, it does with all these things. And there's, there's this temptation, isn't there, that when you, things are going well, when things are successful, to think of yourself higher above your station than what you, than what you already are. But John doesn't think like that. He doesn't seem like... He doesn't see, his personality is like... That's not the way I'm going. And John is part, they reckon, they reckon John was part of a group that called the Essians, which were a strict group in the sense that they, t- 
They were fed up with the pollution of the, the temple, so to speak, with all the craptness that's going on. And so they prided themselves on living by God's word, the, the Torah, and by dre- dre- dressing, uh, living out. And so they saw it as righteous and purity were high top essentials for that. So they pride themselves, and so they removed themselves out into the areas of the wilderness and you, we, we know uh, of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were, uh, that, that were found, found out uh, just part of on the northwest hand side, northwestern side of the Dead Sea and where they were found that whole area they reckon that was part of one of these groups called the Essens where they wrote that down it looked over the, the Black Sea and it was part, ne- next, to the, next to the Jordan and this was part of that group. They took righteousness, they took living by God's law seriously. But it's not just that. His dad was a priest. His dad went into the the temple when the angel came and spoke to his dad, and his dad couldn't couldn't speak until he said, his name is John. But he doesn't He's not acting like his dad, does he? He's not dressed in the way his dad would be dressed. Or his, perhaps his family would act. But because there's a temptation when you look around and you're going through, success, through perhaps a successful period of time because you actually want to um, look uh, and be like everyone every, You want to look like, you want to be like everyone else. And perhaps he's... We know that his dad um, met the angel and had caught going to drop. So his dad's like, okay, be that way. But I wonder how many, how many people have you had expectations from parents or family that you have to be a certain way, you have to act a certain way. And there's this temptation, even though you have a God's calling on you, God's calling on you if you want to go do something and you don't want to offend your parents. And so you end up doing stuff that actually... God hasn't called you to do because you're trying to please your parents. And so you had the outward and inward temptation of, I need to honor my parents, I need to do what they want, but actually I feel something inside me that's calling me to something bigger, something better. And we have John here, he's not the average guy, he doesn't behave like the average guy, he doesn't look like the average guy. And he stands out from the crowd. Not only that, you would have thought, well, perhaps if there's a call, if, if there's a calling, perhaps it should have come from the temple. Why, did, why didn't he come from the temple and then go out? Why is he in the wilderness? Because surely that's where someone significant would be. They would be in the temple where all the priests and the Pharisees and so on, and they'll be debating and it's actually you have this imagery and this representation of not only compl- completing and fulfilling what some of the old prophets do it's like well, what's your perspective of wilderness for a lot of us I think we would agree that wilderness is uh, we would see it as somewhere that's desolate 
uncultivated, not very many people in there. The heat is just unbearable. There's a lack of, there's a lack of food, there's a lack of perhaps, uh, water, water about, and if there is water about, there's going to be beasts and wild animals that are going to be around, and they're all fighting for this water because water is precious, is precious, and it's a time where it's, life is hard. But for John and for, and for Jesus, as we go, we'll see you come into, there's also this imagery where when God moved Israel out of Egypt as a nation, he moved them into the wilderness. It wasn't seen as, I took a wrong turn, I'm in the wilderness, and now I'm scratching my head, I don't know where, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing. God led them into the wilderness because the wilderness was a place where, as some of them described it, although they had a hard time there, one of the psalmists said that was the place where God carried us. That was the place where they had to solely rely on God to speak to them, to meet their needs. So the wilderness wasn't just, just a hard place, it was a place of encounter. And often, more than not, it's where God did a lot of his best work. I wonder it was like for Moses, because where you have um, the dead, where you had the dead, the dead Sea, the, the Dead Sea, and you had the Jordan coming up, you had Jerusalem, you had Jericho, you had uh, Mount ne- uh, Nebo, where um, Moses would have came up, and he's looking over the Jordan, over into the wilderness, over into the landfield of milk and honey, and he could see that, and so you had this. The, the geology of the area is you have this imagery of the Israelites coming and peering over the Jordan water, looking at the lands of milk and honey. Moses, we know, died because he wouldn't enter the, wasn't allowed to enter the promised land because first, when he first struck the rock and water came out, and when Jesus I said, I don't want you to do that, I want you to speak to the rock, and then water came out. In his frustration, temptation got the bear of him and in his frustration he struck the rock and in disobeying God, water did flow but it's like God said, do you know what? It's going to cost you. He didn't do what I asked you to do. And so I wonder what, it's, what, I wonder what, it's, what it feels like to be on that mountain seeing the land of milk and honey and knowing that you're not going to get there. But it's also the, ri- the river where Joshua stepped, stepped where the whole, and the whole Israel just walked through. It was nat- that whole river was a natural defense for Jericho. And the fact that they just walked through him meant that Jericho lived in fear. And you can read the, you can read the story, you can read the account that they lived in fear for years because they have seen what God is doing and they were just waiting for you know, for the Israel to come and take over, over them. There's this fear of patchwork, but because of the temptation, they couldn't go. They had to wait. And Joshua was brought up. And it's the, it's the river where stones were taken and stones were built up and they built, they built an altar towards the Lord. The wilderness was just east of Jerusalem. Jerusalem means you have this 
imagery of it was a safe haven for David when he fled from Saul and hid in the caves. It was a place of encounter, in place of meeting God. It's a place of, it might be hard, but you're communing communing with God. And so the wilderness, you have this double imagery of what it's like. And you can go and you can go looking up in Isaiah and other, other places. It talks about when the word of God is spoken and message is spoken, that the wilderness flowers bloom, rivers spring up, roads are produced, and they're called highways of righteousness. And you can look that up, but it's where and when when that happens, it happens in the wilderness. And so those people who come along, when they're part of that, they then jump on. It's where and it says no evil person will be found on there. No beast will be found on there. But it's a safe road. And when you do praise and you do worship and you start building those highway, that highway of righteousness, when you're following God and his kingdom coming and moves, you have this highway. And so all these paths that seem to be going you know, round and about and up and, up and down, they start move to the side and you have this straight road, this straight highway, an ease of travel for people to come and to receive and to encounter God. And that was one of John's missions, to pave the way. All these roads that go everywhere, just a simple straight highway, ease of access. So when Jesus comes and brings his message, it's ready to receive. But John is there and he's baptizing people. And in John, we haven't got it here, don't worry, we haven't got the, we haven't got the slide. But in First, in first John, when Jesus comes towards John... And John clocks him. He's, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's easy, isn't it? When God's called you and you're the person of the hour, so to speak, you've got the title, you've got the mandate, that when someone else comes along, do we lift them up or do we push them down? Today's society, the temptation is to push people down so you can put yourself up and, and raise yourself. But John's saying, actually, no, no, this isn't the case. I, I'm secure in who I am. My message is that I'm making a way, I'm paving a way for someone else. And it's okay that someone better than me is coming whose sandals I'm unworthy to tie. He doesn't abuse his place of authority of influence but he welcomes someone who is greater than him and even promotes the people that are following him follow Jesus this is the person you I've been speaking about this is the person follow him this is the lamb of God I wonder for us in the roles and responsibilities that we have, how quick are we to lift other people up around us? Sometimes we need a group of we need a group of mighty warriors of men and women who are secure in themselves. That when threat comes around. You know, some people, some people 
I remember, I, I remember, I remember going to one person's house, and the guy, and the, the guy's there, and he's getting agitated because the family aren't doing what he's asking them to do. And he stands up and goes, "I'm the man of this house." And he's like, "You're not really," because if you have to keep shouting out what you are, you're not really it. He wasn't. He wanted to be. He desired to be. But he wasn't. And the same way people go, I'm the man, or, or tell, tell. And it's like, you're not. Because if you are something, you don't have to tell people that's what you are. People automatically see it. And when you're in that position and other people come your way, it's so easy to bring and put other people down and say, do you know, do you know what, I see you, but do you know what, actually instead of saying, do you know what, come, let me, let me teach you, let me help you, how can I, can I help, help you, we pull people down, we tear people down because actually we want it for ourselves rather than we want to do perhaps what God wants. And she so had this temptation with the influence and the followers and the pressure of trying to be the main person of actually the people around you pull down and you push people down instead of saying uplifting and saying, do you know what, it's fantastic, come and join. Come and be a part of it. Why? Because you're secure in who you are. We need some mighty strong men and women of God who are warriors but also know how to leave their sword in their sheath. And be perfectly secure, knowing that, yes, you could take people out, yes, you could have the last word, you could destroy people, but you're not because you're secure in who you are and you're going to apply grace and you're going to apply mercy. You're going to be strong and say, I know what God has called me to do, and that's okay. I'm not going to be intimidated by the other people around me are not going to be intimidated of having to have the most popularity or the most social impact. I am just going to do what God has called me to do and be secure. And John is there. And it says immediately then, then from verse 13, it says, and then Jesus came from from Galilee. Why Galilee? Because Galilee has got the reputation of being hard men. They weren't like the, the wimps of the south. If you speak to people who are from Galilee, they pride themselves even till this even till this day of being their men's men. They're not wimps. So Jesus come, comes from Galilee is, is the writers letting the people and the Jewish people know that. This person isn't a wimp. He's coming from Galilee. They're, they're hard men up there. They're strong men up there. And he, comes to, and, he, and he comes to the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he consented, and then 
when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Fulfilling Isaiah 42 and, and part of Psalm 2, just those senses, of fulfilling it, and it's like you have this moment where Jesus is there, and it says, then suddenly Jesus comes onto the scene, because we know that Jesus was, we have, we have read the stories, and it's, you know, every Christmas you get the nativity play, you have the stories where um, his parents are traveling, and they're trying to find Jesus, and he's back in the, he's back in the temple, and he's debating with the, the people there about Scripture, and they're amazed by the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus has. We need to rear, and then for whether it's 18 years or so, there's nothing about Jesus, but he comes on the scene. He's waiting for this moment. He's 30 years old. To be a rabbi, he has to be 30 years old. Can't be younger. And so he's waiting for this moment. So although Jesus comes and he's in human form and he's limited in human form, he is fully God. And he is fully powerful. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not a case of, okay, Jesus can't do anything up until that point until he gets the power input from the Holy Spirit. That's not the case. Even growing up, he is fully God. He can do anything that he wants if he chooses to, but he chooses not to because he's waiting for this moment. He's waiting for this moment. And the Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus. And for the readers at that time, they know that in the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit perhaps would come on people to prophesy or, um, if you're Samson, to rip lions apart, push temple uh, pillars apart and kill the Pharisees. And you have all these different things. But nowhere, this is the first time that people have seen the Holy Spirit come and stay and rest on, rest on someone. So Jesus must be pretty special. Because it didn't go. It stayed. It rested. So, so it's Jesus' person. He's got to be something significant. He waited 30 years. That's a big temptation, isn't it? To know that you're fully human, but you know that you're God and you've sent and you've got a mission to do. But you know it's not the time. And you have to wait for that moment. It's so easy when you know that God's called you to something, but you're in that period of waiting. And sometimes it can be quite easy to say, okay, I'm just going to start now. I'm just going to start pushing some doors. And you know it's not the right time. And you know perhaps our character is not the right time. We need to deal with stuff. We need to upscale, our, up, upscale ourselves. For example, if you're going on the, if you're like, oh, God's called me to the missions field, but I haven't learned any language Something needs to happen there. I need to start learning the language before going out because I need to, you need to start learning the lingo. And so it's upscaling something. You know, it's preparing yourself so when God says go, you're ready for it. But in Jesus' situation, it's like, I know what I'm doing and I'm, and I'm waiting. So he's walking by people. Can you imagine being in the village where Jesus grew up? Hi, Jesus. Every single day of your life, you passed him in the street. Hi, Jesus. Perhaps he's around your house and you're giving him drinks like, hi, Jesus, what, what would you like? You just seem like a really nice guy. 
can you be someone and just blend in like normal, or do you have to have everyone know who you are? Does your title come first, or what you do come first? Or are you quite secure in what you are, so you just go around until the pointed time and just allow people to find out naturally who you are, or do you have to promote it? For Jesus, 30 years of, I'm a, it's okay. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Normal converse, day-to-day stuff. Building, build, build, building stuff, working through, communicating. Looking, we know that Joseph died. He's looking after his brothers and sisters. I wonder what it's like being raised up by Jesus, the man of the house. You've got Jesus as your dad. But Jesus, uh, go to your room. I wonder what it's like in the mundane. But it's until this moment, we know you have the birth where when he comes down, people recognize it, but it's not until this moment he comes on the scene and John says, and Jesus doesn't even say it. John says it and his father says it. The, the Lamb of God who takes away the soul of sin of the world, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. When you're secure, you don't need to promote it yourself. Other people will. There's a temptation, isn't there, to promote yourself over, over, over and above, but we don't need to. When there's a genuine calling on your life and you're patient and you wait, God will honor that. And he'll work through that. Bear in mind, it says, and we go into um, chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus just didn't go for a wander and get lost. Jesus is just stupid. You know, he got baptized. God, God, God said, this is my son. He's affirming John's message. He's affirming the obedience. He's, he's been obedient to God. He's affirming, they're, they're affirming him, him. And the message is going to be, surely he should go straight for the temple and he's ended up in the wilderness. What an absolute idiot. And sometimes we think, if you've ended up in the wilderness, something has gone wrong. You've, you're out of God's favor. You messed up somewhere. Or God's abandoned you, or he's left you first. But for Jesus, this is a purposefully journey. If you read um, Mark's report, it says that the Holy Spirit forced Jesus out, by it, but he didn't really force him. It's this emphasis of this urgency to, we're going to go into the wilderness, is vitally important. And Jesus is in the wilderness, and it's the exact space and spot at that moment in time where he's supposed to be. And God has said, this is it. You're supposed to be here. Sometimes we hate that, don't we? Because we think, it just feels like I'm in the wilderness. God, surely God's abandoned, abandoned us. But we know that he never leaves us or forsakes us. He know, we know that no one can take you out of the palm of his hands. And so for Jesus, he spends 40 days fasting, 
And I don't know about you, but I certainly haven't fasted for 40 days recently. Um, and I don't think many of us have. But it's intentional. But sometimes people say, no, this is a battle. This isn't a battle. The enemy is an absolute idiot. He might be intelligent, but in this case, he's an absolute idiot. He might have saw it, because all he saw was Jesus on the outside. He's getting hungry. He's getting weaker, which I'd be starving. You know, after about six hours, I'm thinking, where's the nearest McDonald's or something like that? You know, but 40 days, he is, he is hungry. But even though he is hungry and he is tired, he is still God. He is still spiritually supreme, in control, all-powerful. The enemies took this and misread it and saw it as a sign of weakness. And he comes to him, and what does he? And what does he? What does he say? It says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, if, if, knowing my my Bible, I know that Jesus gave gave you a great big drop kick out of heaven, cast him out, threw him out. If, if, If you are the son of God, where were you 40 days ago? In fact, Jesus had a chat with him many a time up in heaven before kicking him out. If? I wonder though, how many times... Has the enemy come and said, you know, if you're a real husband, you'd have done this. If you're a real friend, if Jesus did love you, surely you wouldn't be in this spot. If Jesus did love you, surely you should have got out of this pit that you're in in the first place. You would have been set free by now. If... You are a son and daughter. Why do you always feel guilty? I've not done that. And you have all these ifs come your way. And the first thing he does is try to attack your identity. But normally, when he tries to attack your identity, it's attacking something that you've already got. It's something that you've already got. He's saying, if you are the son of God, Jesus is the son of God. God is, is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-creative. All Wasn't even created, just in a constant state of being. What can a created angel add to Jesus? If. I wonder, is he attacking you for some stuff that you already are and you already have? If you were a child, you'd be, you're being loved by now, but you don't feel loved, do you? So come this way, let me give you something. You might not recognize, and you might not feel in those moments where of life, and just like, it's just hard that God loves you. But if you, 
but we know from Scripture that God adores you. He loves you. He cares for you. We know from Scripture that he died on the cross for you. We might not fully tangibly feel it sometimes, but there's a noise that I am loved. He's trying to take away something that you already have. If. If God really loved you and forgave you, why are you beating yourself up? Why did you do that? You're just a waste of space. Everyone, everyone tells you so. How many ifs have you been speaking over your life or have you heard? If. Just put a pause on that if for a moment and wind back. You are loved. If you've asked for forgiveness, you are forgiven. There's promises in the the Bible. You're not a waste of space. You're wonderfully and perfectly made. He's giving you gifts and abilities. You're not a waste of space. You're significant. You're his. You're a priest. You're holy. He calls you righteousness. You are his. Don't let the enemy tell you if. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Be answered, it is written, man shall not live on by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Turn these stones into bread? Into bread? Really? He is the bread. He even tells people later on, I am the bread of life. All those who are hungry and thirst, come to me. Last supper, I said, this is my body, broken, broken for you. Again, the enemy's trying to offer him something that he already is. If. Why do I need bread when I've got bread? Why do I need bread when it says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Don't you realize, eh, don't you realize the devil, that at this moment in time, I am the bread and I'm communing with my father. I'm having a relationship with my father. This is an intimate moment. I've been speaking to him all this time. I've been listening to every single word that he has said. I don't need bread. Sometimes we look for things in friendships or relationships and sometimes the the enemy comes and says, it might be that turn those stones into bread and sometimes you might have friendships, you might, you might have relationships where you're trying to get out of them something that they were never supposed to be. You might have friends who you're trying to turn them into, st- into bread because you want that life and it's like they're never going to be bread in the first place. 
So you have that conflict and frustration. You have that really in relationships where people, they think someone else is the, at the start they think someone else is the one, and they can change them, but it ends up you marry a stone. You, you think it's bread, but you married a stone. And for years, you try and, you know, you try to do something, you try to change the stone into bread, but it was never going to be bread. It was always going to be a stone, if you know what I mean, without being too harsh. And so you have the tension because you're trying to do something that was not there. Time goes so quick, doesn't it? And then the devil took him to the, in verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for, for it is written, he commands his angels covering you, and on their hands they will bear you up, and least you strike your foot on the stone. He's being a bit cheeky here. He's trying to create scripture. He's guessing it wrong. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord your God to the test. I wonder, we read it as the Lord your God to the test, but I wonder if he's looking the devil straight in the eye and saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I created you. Do not test me. You have a double, it is written, but do not test me because I am your Lord as well. I wonder, it's tempting, isn't it, to whether it's scripture or our positions, to try and use our positions to abuse our power, to abuse our positions and try and trist things for our own advantage. To manipulate things. So I could, I know I'm this, but I could do that. But Jesus resists, resists that. He doesn't do that. He's secure in, in who he is. I wonder in the positions and, and the and the and the way, where it's friendships, relationships, workplaces, whatever it may be, are we people who love our neighbour as I love ourselves, or do we try and twist things for our own advantage and other people suffer? Time's going, so we won't, exp- we won't expand on that too much. Again, the devil took him, on verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, wished. Skadoosh, be gone. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and remained unto him. It's interesting, isn't it, that the angels that the angels came and the previous one is as just jump off the building and the angels will catch you. Well, surely the angels were coming up and down to Jesus anyway in the first place. Not just ministering to but as a ministering as, okay, they're, you, know, you need this, you need this, but also okay, it's a ministering of Jesus working with the Holy Spirit and the Father saying, okay, go do this, go do that, go do this. There's a commune. So going from the previous one, angels are already there. He doesn't need to throw himself off a, a building for the angels to turn up. They're there. But 
But have you noticed, for the devil, the game is still the same. It hasn't changed from Genesis 3. It's still the same thing. It's still the same game. I want to be you. Bow down and worship me. The Bible says that the devil was... He was involved in worship. It doesn't say he was a worship leader, but we know he was involved in worship. And we know that Bible says, no, he is not going around with big red horns and a no, big red suit. And, but actually, he's covered with, with, with jewels. And he's like, he's, and even the Bible says, no, you're, you're perfect. But it got to his head. The temptation, the glory, the worship got to his head, and he wanted it all for himself. He couldn't handle it. It got to him. And he's saying, be gone. You might have tried to trick Adam and Eve and you might have succeeded. You might have tried to trick me, but it was never going to work. Never going to work. You don't know who I am. For, for the enemy, it's the same game over and over again, over and over and over and over again. He's trying to play God. He's trying to get people to worship him. He's trying to get people to adore him. I wonder do we have to be careful about that? Do we try to get are we secure? Do we try to get our people to worship and adore and to follow us and get the profile? Don't fall into the same trap as the devil did. Because we know when times are tough, and times are tough, aren't they? 1 Corinthians says, No no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. If God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability... But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you realize that? The enemy try and might and do something, and the enemy tries to make you feel like you, it's overwhelming, it's impossible. But there's limits to God has put a limit on the frame of what he can do. In the same way with Job, he says, You can do anything you want, but you cannot kill him, you cannot touch him. In the same way, Jesus puts God, God, Jesus, host, they put limits on what the enemy can do. And not only that, it might feel like you're in a cage, but the cage door is open. You can walk straight out. You can walk straight out. Yes, it might feel overwhelming. Yes, it might feel like the temptation is just there, it's just never ending. But you can do it. You're empowered with the Holy Spirit. We have the name of Jesus Christ that every knee will bow. When we declare his name, the enemy flees. But we also, as Jesus uses, we use scripture. It is written. And so I encourage you all to with some of the stuff that you're struggling with, 
to find verses of scripture that will help you. And if you're really struggling with that, you can simply go back to the two greatest commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and thou shalt love your, na- love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so, so when the enemy comes and says, I want, you to go do, I want you to go do that, if you really can't find the Bible verse and say, it is written to love your na- like neighbor as you love yourself, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to abuse my position because that's not loving my neighbor. So even if you whittle it down to those, but I would encourage you to search the scriptures. Go and Google. There's many apps that you can go on, but search. Find the truth. When enemy comes and says, you're not forgiven, you, can, you know in Deuteronomy, he says, our sins are like scarlet, but he'll make our sins as white as snow. You are forgiven. Your sins are as far, as, as far from the east as from the west. And even with the image of Jesus being baptized and, that, and, and being, bapt, being baptized, one, one of the things, I'm just going to go on a little detail and we'll come back, okay? One of, one of the things that I love about being baptized is that if you look in the old, in, in the Viticus and some of the old te- teachings there, they would do sacrifices and part of the sacrifices they, uh, drops of blood would go into the river and the river would take those drops of blood out to sea. You could never get them back. Think about it. Try and get all that back. You can't. As soon as it hits the water, it's dissolved. It's gone. In the same way, one of the things why I love a good baptism, when people come down, it's like dying to the old self and coming up. Yes, we haven't got a river. We've got a drain plug that goes, goes down perhaps into the Clyde who or tell. But it's the same thing that when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, when you ask forgiveness, he washes you clean so much that you can't even, if you wanted to, get it all back together again. Why? Because it's gone. It's washed. It's downstream. It's out to sea. You can't get it back. You are clean. You are clean. Demi might seem strong. Temptations will go your way. But you can overcome it. He will help you. When he promises never to leave you or forsake you. And as the last time we, we, we spoke, when we talked about blessed, and it says blessed are the points, blessed are the meat, and it goes down the Beatitudes. It says when you're in those hard times, when you're blessed, the resources of heaven come down to you to help you through those times. Yes, it might be tough, He's not going to, he won't necessarily say, okay, I'm going to, because you're going through a hard time, I'm going to give you an escape route so you can get out nice and quickly. But he says, I'm going to be with you every single step of the way. You can get through it. You're not overburdened. I am with you. You can do this and you can defeat it. But you don't do it on your strength. Don't get into an argument with the devil. Just stop it short. Use scripture. Use scripture. 